welcome to the Bronova Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Okay, good morning everybody. It's your host, Thomas Pierce. This is another week's episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast. My guest this week is Andrew Hamburger, uh, currently a strategic enterprise account executive for SalesLoft. And what that means is that he is selling his company's product to the most uh, complex and largest customers that they deal with. Uh, that requires a number of skills and a number of uh, years of experience that we're going to talk about. So welcome, Andrew, to the Bronovo podcast. Thank you for having me, Thomas. It's my pleasure. It's always good to, to chop it up and chat sales. Uh, I think it's, you know, <laughs> kind of a really interesting and topic that folks probably won't know about unless they work in, in that world. Um, but as far as your background, how did you get to this point in your career where you're at this very advanced um you know, kind of position within the sales career path and, and, um, what was your background prior to the, your current role? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I come from a, a long lineage of salespeople. My grandfather was a salesperson. My dad followed in his footsteps. I remember as a kid going on the road with my dad and, you know, driving around Western Pennsylvania, stopping, visiting customers. He was doing in-person demonstrations of physical products and I was just wandering around the store like a, you know, bored kid. But it was really interesting because my first experience with sales was actually from the seller side. And most people, if you think about your first experience with sales, you're buying something. I'm not talking about lunch. I'm talking about maybe it's the class ring that they Jostens tries to sell you or maybe your first car, first apartment. Uh, and you don't really realize all that goes into it until you're being sold. And uh, I had, which, which was a pretty unique experience, I came to reflect upon t- to see the sales side of it and chop it up with my dad in those car rides as he was going and prepping for prospect and customer presentation. So I always knew that sales was a viable uh, and fulfilling career option. I also knew it was a stressful one. And I took a pretty intentional uh, approach to getting into the industry uh, and all of the internships and stuff I did early career during college was setting my stage up to, 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 to break in. I remember one summer I decided I didn't want to do the whole waiter lifeguard thing anymore. So I found a job on Craigslist, which uh, was you know going business to business, trying to convince them to switch their phone provider to oh, one wow. of the major companies that owned all the, on the line. So I was in a car every day in a suit, you know, knocking on <laughs> businesses doors when my friends were out, you know, getting a nice tan at the pool as a lifeguard. Uh, but that, but that thickened my skin so much faster than, uh, I would have, if I didn't, you know, rip the bandaid off in that, in that regard. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a sales guy, sales guy, because it's been in my blood. Uh, and then, you know, getting into the corporate world, I kind of started as it wasn't called a BDR or an SDR back then. It was just called a meeting setter. And I was cold calling, so much cold emailing. Honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit easier to get a meeting back then because, you know, there wasn't that many people doing it. And I was setting meetings for senior 
people at, at the company I work for. And if you, we had a rule, if you got the meeting, you had to go on the meeting. So uh, that led to being able to participate in some real sales cycles pretty early on in my career and actually own parts of customer relationships and, you know, smaller inside sales cycles uh, because of, of the work I was doing there. Um, from there, I moved to a more blue chip sales company. I realized I like that aspect more than the actual PowerPoint creation and consulting side mm. and did everything from major accounts, national accounts, sales engineering, uh, frontline sales leadership to, to now working with strategic accounts and strategic prospects calling on, like you said, the world's largest organizations trying to uh, get them to improve the process with uh, sales off. What was your dad's products that he was selling and what were his customers or who? Oh, it's, it's funny how the world has changed. So my, my, we always just say, I don't know the uh, demographic of the audience, but if you remember rocking flowers, which were little animatronic flowers that had like saxophones that would dance to, to <laughs> wow, music. Okay, yeah, yeah. we used to say that uh, rock and flowers bought our house. So he sold wow. everything from <laughs> rock and flowers back in the eighties and nineties, big mouth, Billy Bass. He was a manufacturer's representative. <laughs> so he represented multiple different companies. Um, he had a big flag business. So if you think about when you go to a, you know, a, hardware store they have a whole flag section someone is selling those flags a lot of a lot of toys so he always had to have like a, a minivan that was full of samples but <laughs> it wasn't glamorous you know it wasn't expense it was 100 percent commission there was no expense account you didn't stay at the nicest hotel downtown i remember him clipping coupons to stay at red roof inns and Good chance if you opened up a cabinet in my house, you had a plastic cup from a Red Roof Inn that he had taken home with him. Um, so it was definitely a different era of sales and a different yeah. way of approaching customers. But at the core, a lot of things are the same. Wow, that's that's a hustle. So you saw him work his butt off and, you know, is, is he still around? He is not. Right. Well, firstly, I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. uh, but he would probably be quite uh, surprised to see how your career path goes. And, you know, at least in my experience selling, you know, big corporate companies, you do stay at nicer hotels if yeah. you're doing well. You know, you are getting comped for your travel and <laughs> this this type of stuff. So he would probably be like, what in the hell? <laughs> yeah. You know, when, you know, he when I would share with him some of the pursuits I was working on and the president's club trips I had earned. I mean, it was blowing his mind, but again, <laughs> at the core, at the core, we're all, there, there's some lessons there, right? Like I am yeah. a road warrior. I love being on the road. And I think in today's uh, modern sales motion, especially with the pandemic and, and coming off the heels of that, a lot of people don't realize that, you need to be face-to-face -face in front of your customers. While the web chat platforms are great, business is still done face-to-face. -face. And seeing customers and showing you care and being thoughtful and strategic about how you approach a territory. I mean, he had to literally map out his route. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not driving from A to B. There are root salespeople that do that right now. But I need to strategically map out how am I going to spend a week, a month, a quarter if I want to hit my goals. And, you know, sales is one of the oldest professions. A lot has changed, but a lot really hasn't. 
And that's why I think it's such a great time to be in it and such a great uh, uh, career path to go down because it's going to always be in demand and it's always going to be applicable and something you can level up on. For sure. And then, um, so I guess to paint the picture for somebody who hasn't done this work, high level, there's a, a product that I want to sell you, for example. And to me, it, it bequeaths me to really understand your <clears throat> employer, where you work, your organization, your priorities, everything from how you're compensated, where you fit in the internal political structure, your motivations, the current tools you use, what's working with them, what's not working with them, the details of, you know, how they service your account, how, what they do well, what they don't do well. There's, it's kind of like an investigative job as much as it is, you know, persuasion. Um, Mm -hmm. but before we started recording, we were talking about building consensus among kind of different stakeholders. So how do you, I know that there's not a one size fit all, but, how do you approach that part of the the process of kind of understanding your customer and then also trying to make all of these different people <laughs> agree? Yeah. And, and even though I just said sales hasn't changed that much, that's probably the biggest change is the number of stakeholders involved in the deal. And the amount of research that companies will do and can do prior to engaging in a sales cycle not too long ago, if you made the cold call to someone, you might be the first time they hear about your product, your industry, your space, and the problems you solve, and you have a uh, poll position in the evaluation. Now there's all these stats, 80-some percent of customers will do research before ever reaching out or engaging with a salesperson. So that is one of, if not the biggest challenge of a modern seller, especially at the large enterprise. I mean, think about if you're with a group of friends and you're trying to decide where to go to dinner, four people will have a hard time agreeing where they want to spend two hours eating a meal. Now imagine nine people trying to figure out what product they want to buy to solve a certain set of problems and pull from different budgets within an enterprise. And they all have different motivations, different job titles, different compensation uh, packages and, and ways they get paid. So the, that is the probably the biggest challenge is some of the most complex deals. So how do you do it? You know, it's it's understanding. We use MedPick at at SalesLoft, which is a great framework to qualify leads in and out, but also make sure that you're tracking the metrics that matter. Who's the economic decision maker? Who's the who are your champions? What's the paper process? What competitors you have? So. You know, there's a checklist level that you should be going through to make sure, but I think the best salespeople truly understand the top priorities of the companies they're selling to. The the one or two mission critical North Stars that are getting talked about in board meetings. That the budget is magically appears if you can help solve that initiative, because that is what will make sense for eight disparate people from the business to IT to legal to compliance, other people that need to sign off on a software purchase should be rallying around one or two of the same North Star goals. So I think, you know, you need to go outside of features and functionality Mm. and even outside of maybe your traditional value prop and make sense. Part of our job is being sense makers of what 
the current state is, which a lot of enterprises have no idea the current state of their process and their business at a granular level, how that is impacting the ability to achieve the most important goals, how your solution will close those gaps, what risks exist, how you're going to mitigate those risks, and you know the ROI value with the economic climate. You can't put a proposal in front of someone that you don't expect doesn't go blind in front of a CFO. If there isn't a clear ROI and a payback period and are, you know, believable, but also impactful uh, number that you're going to deliver back to your customer, <laughs> then, you know, you have no chance of getting the deal. And we see that all the time with deals dying at the one yard line after months, if not years of work, if you don't cross all those uh, milestones. Uh, that sounds excruciating <clears throat> to have it die in the vine. Uh, what about a situation where, so right now uh, we're selling a uh, pretty high-end robot to the facilities department is our champion. Environmental services are called in hospitals. Um, and then, however, this like you said, there's CFO, COO, in hospitals, director of support services is an important title. Kind of they facilitate all of the operational things below the COO. And so short of actually being in that, you know, financial controllers meeting, that board meeting, is there anything you've learned how to do to get more face time beyond your champion, right? Because oftentimes it feels like we equip, maybe it's the same with you, we equip our champion to go sell up to their peers. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that's kind of like one of nine, as you said, it's not the same as getting quality time with each of the stakeholders. So that also brings in you, but you don't want to go over the head of your champion, right? It's like, this is the person who's just kind of spotting you. So how do you approach that challenge of getting more influence on the wider group without kind of offending or stepping on the toes of the person that, that brought you in originally? Well, this might be controversial, but if your champion (laughs) won't put you in front of, the other people involved in the decision-making process, they're not your champion. Mm-hmm. They might be an influencer, but they are not a champion. A champion will sell for you and help you put be put in the right rooms uh, you know, happily. Now, there's some tact to how to do that, and it probably doesn't happen on the first meeting or two. But you know, I think people need to take a hard look. If someone is blocking access to decision-makers and telling you it's their decision or they're the champion – Splash some cold water in your face. That person is not a champion. So I think the the easiest way to do that, if someone won't do it, is is executive alignment. In all of the big deals I've ever closed, it's multi-threaded, but not just with me. I think of it like dancing partners. My leader has a direct dancing partner. His leader has a direct dancing partner. Our executives, you might have a connection. And these people aren't running three meetings a week, but they're having touch points and they're letting the customer you're selling to know that more people are looking at this than just a sales rep and that their success is important to us. And they can have conversations at an executive level that frankly, I might not be qualified to have, or even if I can say the exact words, they don't mean as much coming from me as an individual contributor sales rep. And that doesn't just have to be executives. You know, my sales engineers and my technical teams can deliver messages about integrations 
even if I can, if I know the exact talk track way with way more credibility than I, than I can. So mm-hmm. selling is no longer a, a lone wolf activity. It has been a team sport for many years. I think a lot of teams are just realizing that now, but you need to be open to engaging everyone you can in your organization to go after the most qualified opportunities. And then, you know, if you're a leader or someone else or support, sales support, listening to this, like you need to be willing to help. I think that's a, a huge cultural difference between certain sales companies that perform really well and others that don't is the ability for everyone to rally around the customer and a deal happily, proactively. Right. For sure. Like uh, it's, it's, you know, the lights aren't going to stay on <laughs> otherwise. So having, having executive representation is huge. Um, so there's a lot of things that popped up in mind to ask from our conversation so far. But the one thing that I wanted to kind of revisit was, you know, you started touching on defining a champion, but also the importance of making them look and feel good. So can you elaborate on that point and how does that play into getting, you know, closing the deal or kind of uh, having that objective met that you kind of start out with on the, on the sales, the sales cycle. And it seems really uh, simple. Like it seems like a, you know, a no brainer, but sometimes as we get through a deal cycle, we, we get enamored by title and we, you know, sometimes, step over the people that brought us in in the first place. But oftentimes, especially in large enterprise sales, even the decision maker, the economic buyer, is completely uh, delegating the evaluation and the task. So the team is going to be responsible for bringing it to life. So I have seen, you know, the champion's role, even if their title isn't one that has signing authority, be the most crucial because that, that executive is going to lean on them. So you, you, you know, sometimes you have to always remember like every one of the organizations is important that you talk to from an end user all the way to the executive. But, you know, explicitly asking, Hey, how are you, um, rewarded? Like, how are you compensated? Like, what, what is your goal for the year? What you, you've had four meetings and demos on this, on this tool. Like, let's have a one off conversation about what about this is exciting to you. And then, and why is that important to you? Thomas is a person, not the company. Sometimes you've got to ask and people will tell you, I mean, they want you to know. And then it's about making them look good in every conversation and, and arming your executives. They're having a conversation with their boss's boss to acknowledge, Hey, you know, Joe Schmo has done a really good job so far and approached this thoughtfully. We appreciate the level of engagement, all the demos we've had. Um, but Simple things like that go a long way because sales doesn't end in software when the sale is made. It's actually just the beginning. With monthly run rates and lands and expands and constant cross-selling and upselling, you want everyone to be just as excited as when they sign the deal as when they launch it. And to continue to get adoption and training. And if you burn a champion along the way, you might lose some of that momentum that often gets lost during the painful process of procurement. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, know, you just need to be really, I think, super transparent once you kind of qualify there's a deal about, hey, what's in this for you? How do I make 
this aligned to your to your wins and let's partner on this together. And when you partner on something together, now it's it's a co-author document or it's a co-author presentation and they have pride of ownership. And that pride of ownership will increase the likelihood that they sell for you correctly internally, but also, um, you know, that they will see how you handle working together. And at the end of the day, once you sign that contract, you're now working together. And if you can, you know, put a presentation together together to send to someone's executive and they saw that you were thoughtful and punctual and on time with deadlines, they will know that once they actually sign the contract, you'll do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that goes a real long way. For sure. I, um, I think something I've seen potentially just cause where I'm at in my career, it's kind of that like five years in, you know, people, my peers, there's other salespeople, there's a lot of confidence, but there's also a lot of learning to be done. And mm-hmm. I think the product dumping and kind of overconfidence in this is the greatest thing ever, you know, it, it not really realizing, I think one, like you're alluding to the human side of it, the person that you're trying to engage in this transaction with is ultimately a person, you know, they have families, they have kids, they have mortgages, responsibilities, passions, fears, just like everyone else. And investing a little bit of time in understanding who they are as a person and showing them your human side, that vulnerability goes a long way because ultimately, just like you said, even if it's the best fit in the world, you know, if somebody's a dickhead, why, why would they're not going to want to work with you? They're not going to mm-hmm. want to have a quarterly call with you about this thing. They're going to they're going to loathe that call because this person is is, is a pain to work with. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. I think uh, the company you work for owns the contract that you sell, but you own the relationship that you build during that process. And that's evident when you, you know, leave a company, you can call someone for a referral or you can sell them to them again. These are relationships that most people's industries are a lot smaller than they realize mm-hmm. that, you know, you want not just from a selling perspective, but you know, you will be probably working with a group of people and you want them to, to speak positively about you and, and maybe your solution. And, and you nailed it, Thomas, with like, it's not just about what's in it for you with you know your boss but hey tell me about life outside of work and get to know them as a person and show that you are a real person also i think personality and personalization specifically in cold outreach are the biggest drivers you can do to get a response it's you know i i've read an article that you were published in or i saw that you went to the university of texas you know hook em horns like people want <laughs> want that personal connection in the business world. We are humans after 5 p.m. We laugh at jokes. Right. We enjoy hobbies. You know, we aren't perfect. We make mistakes. And uh, to think that from 9 to 5 you have to be this selling robot is pretty counterintuitive to how human nature works. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting to... So specifically, I was just like at a trade. I was at a trade show recently, and I always kind of uh, 
am fascinated by interacting with other competitors, salespeople, mm. because I'm very, I look at it as in the fact that we are, you know, adversaries in this scenario is a good thing because it shows that there's a product market fit of the thing we're selling. Yeah. It shows there's a demand that multiple vendors have to fill. And ultimately, your success is my success because it's just increasing the share of the pie for all of us. Um, <laughs> but that's not, you know, some people are standoffish, some people are awkward. You know, how, when it comes to those scenarios of dealing with your competitors, either, you know, in person at an uh, industry event or kind of just, say, let's say there's a, you know, they just presented last week and you're presenting this week. How do you how do you kind of conduct yourself in those in those moments? Yeah, I think this is a moment that can truly separate salespeople, and the ones that that I think lose more than they win are going to throw mud. They're going to be antagonistic. They they are going to you know write off the competition like anyone that went with them. It's making a wrong decision. Well, a lot of people do go with competition and <laughs> you're basically calling someone stupid. If you say, if you go with them, you're stupid, right? I think part being back to a sense maker, and this is really important because a couple of years ago, like I said, when I started, customers weren't doing that much research. There wasn't that much, many places to do research. There was no G2, you know, there was no, uh, you know, LinkedIn wasn't as prevalent. Um, there were, it was kind of, you know, up to the salesperson to educate the buyer and it's gotten a lot easier to start a company and build software and cheaper. So there's a lot more competitors, no more. There are one or two players in every market. Look at any Forrester Wave or Gartner Magic Quadrant. There's 10, 15 people on that. So Everyone is going to be looking at competitors, especially the big enterprises. They are mandated often to go to RFP with three vendors. Mm -hmm. You will not sole source most of these deals. <laughs> Definitely not. And uh, I think part of the job of a salesperson is to be a sense maker and say, hey, let me, let me give you a rundown of the space that we, that we play in. Here's what other competitors do really well. If that's important to you, you should consider that. If it's not important to you, they might not be the right fit for you. Here's what we do really well. If this is important to you, you're going to want to ensure that, you know, the other people you're looking at can't, can do this. I don't think they can based on my competitive intelligence, but, you know, now we're just objectively talking about facts. And if you can do that and you can, you will earn the credibility of your buyer a hundred percent because they're trying to figure this out themselves. Mm -hmm. And every company uses the same buzzwords to sell. Yeah. And everyone can build a slick website and a happy path demo. But it's it's the stuff that <laughs> under the hood a little nice. yeah, under the hood a little <laughs> bit. It's like, is this gonna be the right fit? Because that also most of these customers have been burned once or twice, maybe even more, by buying slick software that never worked. So they're they're wary. And understanding their concerns and and their experience with other solutions will be helpful for you to navigate how you do it. Now, you still want to be laying competitive landmines 
right. this talk track. <laughs> but if they need something that you don't do and it's a number one deal breaker criteria and your competitor does it, qualify them out. Yep. Because you're just going to waste your time and lose the deal. And yep. you know, now you're you've lost time and the deal. So that's how I would approach it. Now, it's taken me quite a few years to learn how to do that. You know, there was definitely a moment where, you know, I would just crap all over the competition and it didn't serve me. And I don't think it served the companies I was working for. And it's part of every salesperson's maturity curve. hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. To get involved in the conversation, you can send me an email, contact at bronouveau.com or find me on Instagram at bronouveaupod. Please share this episode out with someone who you think will enjoy it and you can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For full-length video episodes, head over to YouTube and search Bro Nouveau Podcast. Enjoy. I think part of that maturity curve is also dealing with quota, both internally, the stress of it, if it manifests as stress, and then also externally managing up and equipping, equipping, let's say a sales director to go tell a story to the executive board, for example, about revenue this quarter. So how do you approach those both sides of the house, managing the pressure internally and then also managing up or managing expectations for the wider team about, you know, your number specifically. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, was a sales leader, first line sales leader for a couple of years and that was an eye-opening. It changed the way that I operate as an individual contributor now. It's kind of, you know, taking the donut off the bat. You know, oftentimes, you know, set, the reason you're asked to do a lot of the forecasting activities and, and pipeline management, you know, it's for really important reasons that, that maybe don't get generated or don't get make its way down to the individual contributor. It might seem like busy work. So I think first off, like understand the reason you're being asked to run to a quota, forecast, manage, manage up is that's how seniors, senior leaders determine how much they can expect to bring into the business to, to figure out where to invest that money into growth, whether it's headcount, whether it's acquisitions, whether it's R and D. And it took me a while to realize that it wasn't just a mechanism to determine if I was going to make it to president's club or not. It was truly to business plan. So once you can understand, okay, this is there's some reason behind this. By the way, I'll benefit from this. You know, if if I'm forecasting well and we need more marketing resources to help me sell more, like this is how we'll get them. Money isn't just created out of nowhere. But you know, managing my personal quota, you know, you kind of have to do the math a little bit. You got to map it out. Uh, how many opportunities and a lot of tools, a lot of you know, a lot of reporting out there will say, how many opportunities do I need? What's my close rate? What size do I need to, to get it? And then you can kind of backfill that. I think that works really, really well in like a mid-market or low enterprise where you're doing a high velocity of deals. And if you have a million dollar quota, you can get it down to how many 
prospects do I have to reach out to on a weekly basis if the math works to exceed that number? As you get a little bit larger where it's more, you know, my, you know, I have, my leader says enterprise sales is a little bit lumpy, right? You, you might not close a deal every month. Yeah. It's about ensuring that you are qualifying your opportunities, your max, the ones that are qualified, you're maximizing the initial total dollar value of them. So how do you take that champion and say, okay, I know you're thinking about one group of users, but, but there's a larger challenge here. Why wait to do that? So how do I turn a 100K deal into a 500K deal? And then you know, managing that up. And, and a lot of that is just making it easy for your leader and your leadership team to remove obstacles. What I personally do is every Sunday I have a template and I send my, my leader an email. He did not ask me to do this. I do this proactively because I saw that it helped when I was leading. I was like, here's where I need help. Here's my new logo progress. Here's my existing customer progress. Here's what I'm excited for next week. Here's my internal initiatives I worked on so I can kind of audit if I'm spending too much time doing mm. things that aren't revenue generating. And we have our one-on-one on Tuesdays. He gets it on Sundays. And like clockwork, by the time I get on the one-on-one on Tuesday, everything I need to help with is either resolved or in motion. Leaders are busy. They've got teams of reps, hundreds of accounts, internal meetings. Like Make it just easy to, to talk about what you want and then hold up your end of the bargain by updating your CRM and and really um, – Auditing if your if your deals are real or not. I mean, happy ears are a thing, and if they're real, ask for what you need. If they're not, either determine how you can make them real or cut them loose, and that will free up more time to get to your to your number through the real opportunities. I mean, eighty percent of revenue comes from twenty percent of customers. So, so I wish you know everyone wants to add more, but you need to focus on the twenty percent of opportunities that are going to give you 80% of your of, of your revenue. And don't let any stone go unturned, in my opinion, internally or externally to get that done. That's, that's awesome, man, that you do that. And I think that is something that I'm sure that leader loves working with you and having you on their team because they know it's kind of very similar, right? Like the customer wants to know you're reliable, you're going to do what you say, you promise to do. You're going to be, like you said, punctual, prepared, researched, eloquent, represent them well. And also internally, that's interesting. I kind of, I always think about the customers, internal customers, but you know, we have our own internal customers, mm-hmm. our leader, our everyone really, you know, if we're the economic engine of the organization, it's a, maybe the, I think maybe what I've done previously is kind of looked at, the other parts of the business, not not combatively, but kind of as a separate entity yeah. rather than kind of being my customer that in addition to the actual customers that pay us, you know, I need to make sure these people are getting what they need from me and I'm holding up my end of the, of the bargain. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. And, and I was the same way. I think it's very easy for sellers as they start finding their stride early in their career and they're bringing in their revenue and they're getting the recognition and they're making president's club trip is like the world revolves around me. I'm bringing in the <laughs> revenue here. And, and that, that is not true. Um, and you know, if you want to approach team selling, you have to be a good teammate and that's, 
everything from, hey, you have a demo that you need a sales engineer on. Actually give them more than a day to prepare for it. Create a prep document. Ask them, how do you like to be prepped for these conversations? What do you need to know? And go get that information. Goes a huge way. It's recognizing the people that help out. You know, if the SDR team sets you some really good meetings, blow them up on Slack or, or whatever your teams, whatever you use, email their boss, get kudos, buy them lunch, you know, buy them coffee. It, it's, it's partly about showing your appreciation and partly being a good partner on the other side of that. Because if you are the bull in the china shop, yes, people will do their job as they are held accountable to do, which might include helping you with your deals. But they're not going to go above and beyond. And the teams that go above and beyond and win together are ones where everyone knows that uh, they've got each other's back and, and you know they're, they're viewed as an equal on this playing field, not as support staff. Absolutely. And I think that mental move shouldn't be that hard for salespeople because we were all the dialer at one point. You know, we've all mm-hmm. been the low person on the totem pole. It's not hard to remember that <laughs> that moment. Yeah, but you know you know, there's still like best salespeople close thirty percent of their business. That's seventy percent people saying no to you. Sometimes when you get, you know, crapped on all day long. Like the cycle of abuse is like I need to crap on someone internally because I'm going to end. And that is very easy to fall into uh, and in turn sometimes hard to take a step back and realize like, listen, it's I can't take my uh, – the, the you know, the whack-a-mole I'm getting in the market and, and bring that internally uh, to me. That doesn't help anybody. So – Get lessons you learned the hard way, and now for the listeners of this podcast, maybe you, you can uh, <laughs> prevent doing that before burning some bridges, but uh, that was definitely part of the maturity scale of becoming a salesperson and, and working with large strategic accounts. Yeah, it's it's messy, man. I mean, it's, it's the business of relationships, and that's it's impossible to always get it right, um, particularly when the type of personality that gets drawn to this job is competitive, mm-hmm. is outgoing, is money motivated. You know, those are, those are traits that do lead to kind of aggressive behavior, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and, ag- and aggressive just pay, pays off in the prospecting yeah. and deal cycle. I think that, you know, it's, it is rewarded, you know, part of your day, but sometimes it's not rewarded on the other part. And you need to walk that line and find that balance. So you, you, you end up on the right side of quota. Mm-hmm. When it comes to career changes and looking at other organizations, because this is a very transferable set of skills. Yeah. What are the things like, for example, when you were looking at sales loft originally, what are the things you look at in an organization to qualify them as a place where you would want to go work? Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> the, I think cult, sales culture is really important. Um, I've worked for startups that were founded by brilliant people that were not salespeople and didn't understand the role of a salesperson, probably didn't 
respect the role of a salesperson. Mm-hmm. They were used to building a really cool technology, people buying it, their board members helping them set up conversations. Well, that works when you have your Series A, but you know, as you progress, you need a true sales mission. Um, so for me, it was, is this a organization that empowers and enables their sellers to be successful? So what kind of su- training, support, uh, leadership, what's the background of the leadership? Uh, you know, how many reps are performing well, hitting quota, talking to reps there. I was referred in by a close friend and colleague and, you know, he was wildly successful, and wildly happy. That that goes a long way when someone you respect can check those boxes. Um, for me, yeah, like, I, I, I prefer the culture of like, listen, we know what salespeople need and we're going to help them be successful. Uh, that some people have made an entire career to go into Series A and B companies, and being the first salesperson, and and helping set some of that stuff up. So it's kind of depending on what you want. There's other people that only want to work for mature sales organizations, and run the plays and hit home and you know and work the system that way. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to be honest about yourself of which one are you because you're probably interviewing at more than one company, and if you were honest with yourself, it's probably all over the board. Um, and I don't think every sales job is the same based on the category and size of the company that you're selling for. So really figuring out what, what's your niche, what are you good at, what gets you excited, and maybe that's the first step of you know asking the questions to to determine does the prospective company fit that criteria. I really like that, you know, and. The other thing we haven't really touched on the, you know, often on the Bruno podcast, it's all about self awareness, emotional stuff, relationships. Mm-hmm. Talked to a lot of therapists, but you know what we're talking about here is just self awareness, right? And, and kind of who who am I? What are the, what are the, what are my passions? What are my drivers? What am I gonna actually want to do fifty hours a week and yeah. do well? It's, it's sales will definitely. Uh help you realize what you're good at and, and areas to improve and also how you react to certain situations and, and what really makes you upset and what makes you happy. And, you know, I'm a big supporter of therapy and self-improvement. Uh, I am working currently on, on actually be, you know, helping uh, work through decisions in a less emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an area that I've realized I can improve upon and nice. that's what I'm working towards in 2023. So it, I, that's, that's part of the reason I love sales is, is you, it's a full contact sport. You really get to see what you're made of and, you know, people rely on you internally and externally and, you know, you run up against, there's not one deal that is doesn't have, you know, our CRO says that every deal dies three times before. It <laughs> so like you're in these big cycles and you think you're going to you, you know, get this deal. And then an executive retires and someone else comes in and is like, I prefer the competitor. That's going to happen. So how do you have the mental fortitude to handle that? Um, and it certainly applies to other aspects of life. Because like I said, you don't stop being who you are at 5 p.m. or start being a different person. Mm. True. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's that's yeah. awesome, man. It is a very, like, 
like I said, because it, it is the business of relationships and influencing people being influenced and yeah, it's a, it's a very cool, um, and I think it kind of explains for me like why, cause I have a, a large, large interest in psychology too. Mm-hmm. So why this job, I like this job because it's very dynamic driven and understanding what's this person's vibe today. Are they, where are they at? Do they, if, if, if I, if I'm on the phone with someone and it's like, they clearly don't want to fucking talk to me right now because of something else going on, I'll be like, I'll call you tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and that I think is part of what we were talking about too, of like giving them the space to um, be their own human and not have to take our sales calls all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of the best sales leaders I ever had know when, when, you know, I'm going through a rough day mm-hmm. and they don't twist the knife about pipeline or forecast. They know, Hey, this today's not the day to, to do that. Now they also know when to do that. And, you know, how to bring you back down to reality sometimes um, and how to, you know, have the high EQ as well as IQ to, to help lead you to success is, is one of the things that sales managers certainly should be doing if they want uh, to get the most out of their team. For sure. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure to, to chat with you and thank you so much for sharing you know, hard earned lessons from your experiences with myself and my audience. I I am definitely going to go back when I edit it and take notes because I think there was a lot of great information here. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Thomas. For sure. This, I usually also ask my guests that usually are promoting something. Is there anything that you, do you have a personal website or personal projects, anything that you, you are doing on the side? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I w- maybe I should. Uh, maybe that's a sign that I should. Um, no, uh, I, I'm not. Uh, you're interested in sales engagement. Sales Loft is a leader in the space. Um, and, you know, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, but I appreciate the uh, space, the forum, the thoughtful questions. And hopefully this was uh, valuable for you in the audience. It for sure was. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Beth.